Hello folks, my name is Rick Pearson, host of Prophecy USA, a program specifically designed to unveil the hidden mystery of America's role in Bible prophecy. What do you think would happen if a rabbi who dedicated most of his life in studying the Torah compared his notes with a Gentile scholar of New Testament prophecy? Stay tuned, you're about to find out. Hello, folks. My name is Rick Pearson, and this is Prophecy USA, a program specifically designed to unveil the hidden mystery of America's role in Bible prophecy. We're in Florida today and are looking at some mysteries in Scripture that not many believers, especially in North America, have been taught in their local churches. Our guest today was raised in a Jewish home in New Jersey and has dedicated most of his life to finding truth. And as founder, of Fusion Global Ministries, his mandate is to look back at what God has done in the past so we can unveil the mystery of what God plans for us in the future. Rabbi Jason Sobel is the author of several books, including the national bestseller, Mysteries of the Messiah, Unveiling Divine Connections from Genesis to Today. In addition to that bestseller, he has written Breakthrough and aligning with God's appointed times, as well as The Rock, The Road, and The Rabbi with Kathy Lee Gifford. He is a spiritual advisor to the TV series The Chosen, and he hosts The Chosen Unveiled on TVN. His next major release is a 12-part TV series entitled Mysteries of the Messiah, which we will get a sneak preview of today. Rabbi Jason Sobel, it is an honor to welcome you to Prophecy USA. Welcome. Shalom. It's so great to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Well, if I could reach through the, the television screen and shake your hand, I do. But <laughs> Rabbi's in California. I'm in Florida. And our technical crew is in Canada. So welcome to 21st century. As I read your book, Mystery of the Messiah, I was totally fascinated at your testimony, how at 18 you were called into ministry and you stayed in your book that you had a personal encounter with Yeshua. Can you briefly share that experience with our viewing audience? Yeah, of course. I mean, I grew up in New Jersey in a traditional Jewish family, was working in a large recording studio in New York City looked at the lives of all these famous people around me. I said to myself, there has to be more to life than just this. Began a spiritual journey and was studying with my rabbi, but also really wanted an encounter with God. So got into martial arts and yoga and new age. And one day I was meditating and my soul began to vibrate. It left my body it literally went through the roof into the clouds. And the next thing I know, I was standing in heaven and I saw this king, Ram Vanisa, high and lifted up in this glorious light seated on this throne. And I felt the power of God 
pulsate through every cell of my body. I'm literally shaking under the power of heaven. And this king on this throne, I knew was Yeshua, that it was Jesus. And he told me that I was called to serve him. I was literally, I never had felt anything like it, even to this day. Next thing I know, I was down, shaking under the power of God in my bedroom, knowing that I was called to serve Yeshua. But as a Jewish kid, I had no idea what this meant, because I only grew up with Jewish friends and Catholic friends. No one had ever shared the gospel with me, but eventually a friend did share with me, and uh he said, can you tell the difference between the Old and the New Testament? And I said, sure. He read me this passage. He was bruised for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquity by his stripes were healed. He said, Jason, is that the Old and the New? I said, that must be talking about Yeshua, Jesus. It must be the New Testament. He said, no, that's Isaiah 53, speaking 700 years before Yeshua ever walked the face of the earth. I began to be provoked to jealousy. He invited me to a Messianic congregation where I got tricked into faith through through a, a altar call <laughs> led by Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot more of the story, but God has a good sense of humor. Wow, that is a fantastic testimony. You know, it reminds me of the verse, uh, John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. In 2019, Prophecy USA showcased biblical warnings of the coming New World Order. In 2020, we warned you of their plans to use COVID-19 to accelerate that agenda. In 2021, we warned of the Babylonian spirits who are invading our nation to provoke curses upon the land, emulating Sodom and Gomorrah. But what is next? Prophecy USA is proud to present The Coming Exodus, Unveiling America's Future. In this exciting book, you will discover where traditional theologians have missed the mark and why prophecy teachers have refused to acknowledge that America's role in Bible prophecy is rapidly being fulfilled. When you give a donation of $35 or more, you will receive The Coming Exodus, Unveiling America's Future. Or for a donation of just $60 or more, you will receive both books, The Coming Exodus and The Hour That Changes Everything. Call 1-888-306-1759 or visit us online at prophecyusa.org. I think God is so good because he says, if you seek him, he says, if you seek me, you will find me. I was really trying to yeah. see who God was. I really wanted to know who God was. And uh, the Lord honored that and and met me, even though I was looking for him in some strange places. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. Now, you've said in your book uh, that your ministry is mandated. And I want to I want to quote what what your mandate is from your book, Mysteries of the Messiah. You say that the eyes of the church must be open to the Jewishness of Jesus. His Hebrew identity must be restored, and the church must embrace the Jewish followers of a Yeshua Messianic Jews as Pharaoh embraced Joseph. This must happen for the great move of the Lord in the last days. And then you say, you, the church, are like John the Baptist, are preparing the way of the Lord. Could you explain that? 
Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I think we need to understand that, you know, Yeshua, Jesus, as he was looking over Jerusalem, said, you will not see me again, Israel, until you say, Baruch I, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. That phrase is a phrase that literally means to welcome. If you, when you go to the airport in Israel, Ben-Gurion, there's a big sign. He says, Baruchim Habayim in the plural, welcome. Or when you do a Jewish wedding and you welcome the groom underneath the wedding canopy, you say, Baruch the same phrase, Baruch Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. So literally what it's saying, until the Jewish people welcome Yeshua Jesus as the Messiah, as the bridegroom, the kingdom of God will not be established on earth as it is in heaven. But this goes back to the story of Joseph in the Bible, because I believe Joseph is one of the most important prophetic keys that provides a prophetic portrait of what God is is going to do in the end of days before the second coming. I mean, we know that, you know, Joseph is a picture of the Messiah. Yes. Joseph is rejected by his brothers. He's he's sold for silver. He's falsely accused. He's thrown into the pit. The first time the brothers come down to Egypt, they don't recognize him. It's only the second time that they recognize him. It's like the first and second coming. I mean, there's so much there. We won't get into it right now. It's in the book. But part of the significance is that when the brothers came down the first time to Egypt, they didn't recognize that it was their brother Joseph who they were dealing with to get food during the famine. And because the reason why is because he walked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He was <laughs> unrecognizably Jewish, right? He just looked like every other like exactly. royal Egyptian, right? He had a look like you couldn't tell it was him. It wasn't until the second time they came down to Egypt that he took off his Egyptian garb and said, Aniosef, I am Joseph, that they recognized who it was. Well, I think that the church has made Jesus into an Egyptian. He's unrecognizably Jewish. He's completely taken out of his context. So, for example, the famous picture by Da Vinci's of the Lord's Last Supper, you know, they're eating fluffy loaves of white bread at the Last Supper, which was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. <laughs> they're not even eating the Passover lamb, right? How did the Passover <laughs> lamb become the Easter ham? I don't know. It's a question. It's a mystery. I'm going to have to ask God when I get to heaven. It, it just, it's just so, so many things are taken out of, of context. So when a Jewish person looks at Jesus, they're like, well, like growing up, I thought Jesus was a nice Jewish boy who, who converted and became Catholic because I didn't know any kid, Jewish kids by the name of Jesus who had mothers by the yes. name of Mary, right? So he's completely yes. unrecognizable. But here's the thing. Pharaoh recognized him before the Jewish brothers recognized him. Pharaoh in a sense, in Egypt are the Gentiles. The Gentiles embrace and receive Joseph before the Jewish people did. And I believe that that is key. So when the Jew, when the church embraces the Jewish Jesus, puts him back in his historical context, that is going to be key to opening the eyes of the Jewish people that he is the promised Messiah of the Torah, the prophets, the Hebrew scripture, which will begin to provoke Jewish people to jealousy, 
which will then lay the foundation for Jewish people to welcome him as the Messiah of Israel. The United Nations has a 2030 agenda. The World Economic Forum has a great reset. The COVID-19 pandemic has an accelerated mandate. But as the new world order plans their world without God, nothing will be accelerated faster than the prophetic word God has spoken to the United States of America. It will be the hour that changes everything. Prophecy USA is proud to present their latest book, The Hour That Changes Everything. Together with our study guide and free app, prepare yourself for one of the greatest events in Bible prophecy. Go to prophecyusa.org or call the number on your screen now to make your donation of $35 or more and receive your copy of the book, The Hour That Changes Everything. We are waiting to hear from you. Call today. So one of the most famous Jewish prophets that most church people know about in North America is the prophet Moses. Yep. And you, you state in Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, it's the prophetic calling. But you say that Moses came as the first redeemer and also the one born of a virgin who will complete the work of salvation as the second redeemer at the end of time. Could you expound on that about Moses and Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it says in Deuteronomy 18, I will raise up a prophet like Moses from your midst. And Deuteronomy 34 is building on the prophecy of Deuteronomy 18 of a greater than Moses. It says, until this day, no prophet in Israel has arisen like Moses whom the right. Lord spoke to face to face and who did all these unique signs and wonders when he redeemed the children of Israel out of Egypt. So the Torah ends by saying, look, we're still waiting for the promised prophet, the promise greater than Moses spoken of in Deuteronomy 18. Well, they waited a while because it wasn't ultimately fulfilled until Yeshua, Jesus was born. And you look at the life, you look at the life of Jesus and almost everything in his life points to him as the greater than Moses. So when Moses yes. was born, Pharaoh tried to destroy the Jewish babies out of fear. When Yeshua was born, Herod slaughtered the innocent, trying to kill the promised Messiah. Then where does Moses flee to? And Moses is raised in Egypt, right? Where does Yeshua flee to as a child? Egypt. And fulfillment of Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. So just like Moses came out of Egypt, the Messiah had to come out of Egypt. Then we see this with all of Yeshua's miracles, right? Moses parts the Red Sea. Yeshua walks on water. Moses gives them manna from heaven. Yeshua multiplies the bread and the fish. I mean, we just see this over and over again. Yeshua is tempted you know he's called in he's he's immersed in the water he's called into the desert well where does moses receive this calling in the desert right so exactly where moses failed yeshua gets it right and takes it to 
takes it to the next, takes it to the next level. And ultimately, two things made Moses unique. God spoke to him face to face, number one. This is John 1 1. Literally, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. But literally, what it says is that in the Greek, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was face to face with God. Moses only got to see the back of God when he was hidden in the cleft of the rock. Yeshua was face to face with the Father from the beginning. And all the unique, all the miracles that Yeshua performs, especially in the book of John, but in all the gospels, point to him as the greater than Moses. Moses turns the water into blood as the first miracle. Yeshua turns the water into wine because he doesn't come to bring death. He comes to bring life that we might have it more abundantly. And we can go on and on and on about his unique birth and about and all sorts of crazy things that connect Moses and Messiah. Okay, now... Uh, th this leads into the next question I wanted to ask you. Um, you mentioned that the number 400 is assigned to the uh, Hebrew word tab. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, which is the shape of a cross. And then you state that 400 is associated with God's outpouring of judgment. However, the cross is a symbol of redemption. So here's my question. What is the double meaning of the number 400? Yeah, I think there's something that we have to understand even before we get into that for it to really make sense. And that is this. Hebrew is alphanumeric. That means that every Hebrew letter has a numerical of value attached to it. And the reason for that in part is that there are no Roman numerals in the Bible. So, for example, if you open up a Hebrew Bible, there and you say hey open up to genesis chapter 1 verse 1 there is no one in the hebrew bible right you right. i say open up to chapter aleph aleph is the first letter of the hebrew alphabet tav is the last letter of the hebrew alphabet right so letters and numbers are connected in hebrew which means that every letter has a numerical value every word has a numerical value and there's oftentimes significance in that. That being said, the very last letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the letter Tav, right? And Tav has a numerical value of 400. And the ancient Tav was actually written in the shape of a cross. So letter Tav, its ancient Hebrew shape was in the form of a cross and its numerical value was 400, okay? Which is, I think, very significant because 400, yes, is associated with the cross but and, and redemption, but 400 is associated with the Hebrew word shofake, which is God pouring out judgment. And you say, what's the connection between God pouring out judgment and 400 and the cross 400? The cross 400 was the means by which the Lord overcame the judgment 400 that each one of us was, would, was due. He poured out 400, his judgment on Jesus, Yeshua on the cross 400, so that we don't have to experience it, it in our lives. And it, go, it goes back to Moses, right? Moses took 
when they came to the waters of Mar and the waters were bitter, God said to Moses, take a tree and throw it into the waters. And the, wa and the waters went from being bitter to sweet because of the tree that was cast in. Well, that's a picture of the cross. Literally, in, in Hebrew and in Greek, the word for cross literally means tree. So it goes back to the very beginning. Man stole from the tree in the Garden of Eden, brought a curse on the world. God put Jesus back on the tree to reverse the curse, to take judgment on himself, to reverse it and to restore the blessing. So the tree that Moses threw in the water, the sweetening of the judge, it's literally the sweetening of the judgment. And that's what he does in our life by means of the cross. And what oftentimes people don't understand is that during the, during the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, the blood on the doorpost actually formed a symbol of the cross. Take the blood and apply it to the top and the two sides of the doorpost and the blood that was in the basin where they slaughtered it in the doorway of the home formed actually a picture of the cross which is the hebrew letter tav so it goes all the way back to the days of moses being a sign of redemption being a sign of salvation that god was ultimately going to bring for for god's people Hello, folks. Karen and I would like to personally thank you, our prayer partners, and our monthly supporters, who are helping us spread God's word concerning America's role in Bible prophecy. In order to help you reach friends and other loved ones with this teaching, please listen to this very special message. In these end times, it is more important than ever to reach the lost. That's why Rick and Karen Pearson have assembled all of their teaching into this powerful study kit. For a gift of just $200 plus shipping and handling, Prophecy USA will send you a free study kit of five books, five study guides, and a DVD teaching aid discussing each chapter. Or for a gift of just $375 plus shipping and handling, you will receive a free study kit of 10 books, 10 study guides, and two DVD teaching aids. Call today at 1-888-306-1759 or visit us online at prophecyusa.org to send your gift and begin sharing these important prophetic teachings. Wow. So in this is a, I'm going to tie, I'm going to tie some dots here. In Genesis 15, 13, uh, the, the covenant to Abraham was that his offspring would be afflicted for 400 years before judgment and deliverance would come. So Egypt was judged, but the children of Israel were blessed. So this is my question. Was the 400-year period symbolic of how God measures a covenant nation? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things we have to understand about what God says to Abraham, right? To even understand, get into the question of what you're saying, right? Why does God say 400 years? And what is the significance of that? Well, 400 is associated, has a positive and a negative aspect to it, like most numbers. 400 years of exile is what God says to Abraham. And 
what's interesting is that 400 is associated with exile and displacement. 400 years in Egypt, Genesis 15. There are four, in the days of Jacob, there are 400 men of Esau that confront Jacob as he sought to return home and resettled in the land of his fathers that the Lord had promised him. So 400 represent, represents the spiritual forces of Esau, the spiritual forces of negativity and evil that come against God's people. But at the same time, 400 is a numerical value of the phrase, the Lord is gracious and full of compassionate, Psalm 145, verse 8. And this is key to understanding, yes, exile and displacement. But on the other hand, God says in Exodus 20, verse 4 through 6, when he says, do not make for yourself any image in the likeness of anything on heaven above, on earth below, under the water, do not bow down and serve them, meaning idols. He says, for I am Adonai, am a jealous God, bringing the iniquities of the father unto the children, even unto the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So people often think, well, God punishes up to three and four generations for the sin of the parents. That's actually not what it says. It actually says the reverse. It goes back to Abraham. God says to Abraham, the reason why you can't stay in the land and you have to go into exile 400 years, it says because the sin of the Amorites are not yet complete. God gave 400 years to the inhabitants of the land of Israel, the Canaanite peoples, to repent. When they did not repent, God is slow to anger, gracious, abounding in kindness. Even as we said, 400 is the numerical value of the phrase, God full, gracious and full of compassion. God, because he's gracious and full of compassion, gave 400 years for the Canaanites to repent. When they did not repent, he removed them from the land and he gave it to the children of Israel. It was his grace that waited, but ultimately God's grace and compassion has a limit. Judgment does have to come, which is, again, connected to the 400. When they rejected 400 years of grace and compassion, then God 400 poured out his judgment upon them, right? And so exactly. I think there is a time that's set. And if we ignore those years of God's warning to us, his graciousness to us, then there does come a time when judgment and that range in for for the children of Israel was that 400 year range was the, the, the maximum. Folks, we hope that you've enjoyed part one of our interview with Rabbi Jason Sobel concerning mysteries of the Messiah. This week, we learned that Moses and how his life emulated the life of Christ. We learned that the prophetic 400 year time sequence of Egyptian slavery had both salvation and judgment at its climactic ending. However, there's much more to these scriptures that we, the Gentile church, needs to know. How does the mystery of the Exodus tie into the mystery of Babylon the Great? How do the secrets of Jewish protocol concerning the past unveil the prophetic future of this great nation that we call the United States of America? And how does one of the most famous prophets in Jewish history emulate the greatest prophet who promised that he would return in like manner as he left. Folks, you don't want to miss next week's conclusion as Rabbi Jason and myself compare notes 
from Israel's history as it relates to the 400-year period of America's covenant. It will amaze you what we learn from the past that unveils the secrets that are coming in the future. But we're out of time. This is Prophecy USA. My name's Rick Pearson reminding you that Jesus is alive and he's coming back much sooner than many people think. See you next week on Prophecy USA. Shalom.